Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. I must say I'm constantly amazed with Open House at the range, the depth, the great interest of the people we get on this program. One particular favourite is my next guest, guitar maestro Tommy Emanuel has been entertaining and delighting audiences around the world for more than five decades. He's not by any means an old bloke, it's just that he started performing really early, paid gigs when he was six Two bottles of Coke a gig. Tommy's in the midst of a new series of concerts around Australia, and I'm personally, professionally, and musically so glad that he's joining us now on Open House. Tommy Emanuel, welcome. Hey, thank you, Lee. Everything good with you? I'm great, thanks. All the better for hearing from you. Thanks so much for sparing the time. I actually worked out in my research that we are exactly the same age as each other. That's why I say you're not old by any means. I can barely remember anything from my life around six, but they must be such powerful memories for you. There are certain things that I remember. Uh, you know, I can remember certain people. I can remember being around people in the showground, watching entertainers really do something to the audience, things like that. I also remember the first person that had a powerful impact on me uh, from the stage, and that was Cole Joy. Mm. And that was a long, long time ago. It was 1960, so I was five years old. And, and I can remember watching him... And that's the first time that I witnessed somebody with that much charisma. Great stuff. Tommy, paint us a picture of the family troupe because it was very much a family affair on the road for you guys. <clears throat> yeah. It was mum and dad and six children. I was pretty much in the middle, although I was the youngest on stage. You know, I had my older brother, Chris, with drums. My sister, Virginia, played um, Hawaiian steel guitar. And my brother, Phil, of course, was the main lead player. I was the accompanist and the kind of showman out the front and you know i was the one who communicated with the audience a lot who moved around the others were pretty much static you must have loved it oh absolutely we didn't know any other way of life because we could actually play if what you got to remember is that we were little kids and we we could actually play music on our instruments and it wasn't like we were taught by some suzuki method or something we we were self-taught players who were finding our own way and what we were doing was you know well beyond our years so i think it was the element of surprise for the audience that must have been a gift do you think now well there's no doubt about that and that gift is something precious to me and something that i honor every night and i stay dedicated to you know so no formal training, and still to this day you don't read music? That's right. Paint us a picture of your mum and your dad. Well, I don't remember much about dad because he died when I was very young. But yes. what I do remember was uh, him bragging nauseatingly about us. <laughs> we were so broke all the time that, that we, it was always enlisting help from here and help from there, and people were really wonderful to us. My mother was an angel who walked the earth, who provided for us in such an amazing way. And, you know, like I said, we were incredibly poor, but we kids didn't know it. My mother could cook a shoe and make it taste good, you know. (laughs) And, uh, in fact, we ate shoe quite often. Um, (laughs) But things like when we ran out of money and we were totally destitute, my mother would get out the rice and boil it up and put a bit of powdered milk on it and a bit of sugar, and that's what we lived on until we earned some money, you know. And it was, 
we we basically lived from week to week on the road and uh there were times when we did pretty well and we enjoyed that and of course in the old days you're talking about the early 60s here we we had a tent and uh, a station wagon all the rivers in australia were full of fish and they were clean and all that and so we'd camp by the river and do our washing in the river we'd uh, bathe ourselves in the river we'd drink the water We'd eat the fish. We, you know, it was uh, ideal, really. And your mum thought that music was good for your health. She did. She said that playing music is uh, is what will keep you well, keep you young, keep you inspired, and it was good for you in life in in general. And she was right in so many ways. You know, having something to do that that, that that's good, playing music for for people and entertaining them young and old is a is a wonderful thing i still feel that way you know it's it's a great privilege to be in the entertainment industry because you play music for people and they get happy yeah. and that, that's a wonderful thing tommy somewhere in the midst of this you went to sunday school as a kid which meant a great deal to you yeah i i went i went to sunday school with was mostly with my grandmother and my grandmother was a wonderful, wonderful old lady. My grandmother and my grandfather were uh, were just very quiet, living, humble people. You know. Did that stick with you for long through those through those years on the road, and then ultimately when you started to get some success in the big smoke? I think I've always been a family orientated person, and I come from a very simple upbringing. Um, the codes that I live by have never changed. I read a quote of yours that said you had a sense that you're not running this ship. Your job was to get out and play the guitar and let God do the rest. Stay out of That's his way. That's right. That's right. It's none of my business. People who think they ha- they're in charge, people think who there's an illusion in this world that we are in control. Yes. And we are in control of absolutely nothing. Um, our job is to take what gifts we've been given, show up and do our best with them for the benefit of others. That's what our real job is, to help each other. That's why we're here. And if ever you had a sense of not being in control, that was the loss of your dad at the age of 11, then comes the memorable and important connection in your life with the American guitarist and performer Chet Atkins. How did that come about? It was your initiative. Well, I I wrote him a fan letter and uh, he wrote back to me we just stayed in touch, you know. I mean, it was unbelievable. This idol, this this greatest player on the planet, took time to write to some kid from nowhere, and that inspired me so much. And we became friends, and um, you know, we ended up recording together, working together, and that was my that was a fulfilment of a, of my my dream, you know. It's a wonderful story. There was one particular time and one particular song that arrested you called Windy and Warm. I've got a little yeah. grab of it here and I want you to talk us through it. This is okay. uh, Chet Adkins, a bit of Windy and Warm. So what was it about that particular song that struck you and so arrested you, Tony? Uh, well, uh, and it was so long ago now, but um, I would say it was the fact that I could hear that he was playing everything at once. Yeah. And people said, oh, no, it's a recording trick. It's them damn Yankees, you know. And uh, nobody believed that it was just one guy. But I did, and I said... Whatever that, whatever he's doing there, that's what I've got to do. 
It wasn't a matter of that's what I want to do. It was a matter of that's what I've got to do. And funny thing was, years later, when I got to know Chet really well, he told me he had the same experience. He was on a, living on a farm down in Columbus, Georgia, with his father and his stepmother, and he heard Merle Travis on the radio. And he said, I said to myself, whatever that is, that's what I've got to do. So you said about learning that just by ear. Yes. And you nailed it. I, w- I had to work it out. There was nobody who could play that way in this country in those days. There are, there are a lot of people now who play that way. But there was nobody back then, 1962, 63. And I was struggling trying to work out what was going on. And I eventually got a hold of it. And it was like someone lit a fire under me. And, and uh, I found something that I could really work towards. And when I eventually worked out how to play the tunes, playing the bass part, the rhythm part, and the melody part all at the same time. I would do it on stage and the others would walk off and people would be so amazed. They, they'd be looking for the, the tape recorder behind the curtain. And they're still amazed and uh, gobsmacked. <laughs> to this day, yeah. I know. So you're back out on the road after the death of your dad with your mum and you six kids after your dad dies. Yeah. And then child welfare tracks you down and that's it for the road. Yeah, they, uh, they forced us off the road. They didn't really believe that we were getting a good education, and which was a shame because we were getting a very good education because our mother was seeing to that. But anyway, things unfold. You know, you can only join the dots of your life when you look back. You can't do it forward. So by us going to school, Phil, my brother, and I formed another band, and then we got on television and all that kind of stuff, and we ended up working together in other bands as well, and that was good experience, and because I was growing up uh, in getting into my early teens and, you know, 14, 15 years old, I was starting to find a clarity about you know, if I worked hard on the instrument, if I practiced a lot, I could really do the things that I thought were impossible. Yeah. And, and, and a light come on for me. And, and I got really dedicated and really got it to work, you know. On Open House, we're with the wonderful Tommy Emanuel. Tommy, so then as soon as you can get out of parks where you ended up settling, you head to the big smoke of Sydney. And you start to land some pretty enviable gigs and music sessions. Drop some names for us. Who are you working with then? (laughs) Well, in the early days, I was musical director for a guy named Lionel Long. And then I became musical director for John Farnham. And I work with everybody from Marsha Hines, Renee Gayer and Doug Parkinson and John English. and, And then Air Supply. And I ended up playing on some American records at that time too because there were producers who came out to Australia who'd heard about me and so that was a nice thing. I, mm. I played on a Roberta Flack album. I did a track with Di- on Diana Ross album and then just recently, I think it was two years ago, um, I got to play on the Michael Jackson album that came yeah. out um, after Michael died. Is there one particular opportunity or performance that stands out head and shoulders above the others? Well, recording with Chet Atkins was a, was a great time for me and an absolute dream come true. Yes. But I think still my mountaintop experience, apart from playing on Michael Jackson's track, would have to be playing the uh, 
closing ceremonies of the Olympic Games yeah. with, with my brother. What a great opportunity. Can I ask you a couple of questions musically? No doubt about your breathtaking skills with the guitar, but how Thank important you. is the particular instrument you play? Um, well, that's very important because that's your part of your voice, isn't it? I like a guitar to feel and sound a certain way. I have lots of beautiful guitars. Um, guitars just seem to come to me. I don't know why that is, but uh, I give guitars away and I get them back quicker. I, I keep being given guitars quicker than I can give them away. Great stuff. Um, yeah, it's true. But uh, the guitars that I use on the road are Maiden guitars made here in Australia. Yes. And that's another reason why people say to me, oh, when you're on tour all the time, don't you miss Australia? I said, how can I? I open my cases and there it is. Yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. The mating guitars are a big, a very important part of my sound. Nobody makes a guitar that sounds like a mating. It may seem such a basic question, but I really want to ask this. But my guess is it's a critical one. How much practice do you do? So you perform and you play lots and it's just brilliant. But Thank you. is that backed up by solid practice behind the scenes. Absolutely. Yeah. I practice as often as I, as I can and as often as I need to. Sometimes there's a real need to work on your skills. In fact, like for instance, here, here's a classic example. Today, I just did my sound check and I don't think that my hands are as good as they were earlier today. I, I, I got cold and I think my hands uh, have slowed down a little. So before the show tonight, I need to really warm up. I need to go into the bathroom in my dressing room and play real hard for about half an hour wow. and really get the blood into my hands. I work on skills all the time. I work on strength, on control, and all that kind of stuff. And I go through stages of practicing improvising and things like that. Yeah. I, I do a lot of different stuff. Can I ask you to reflect back on that very special relationship with Chad Atkins? and what he did for you, not only just musically, but for your character as well? Chet taught me a lot about how to treat people. It didn't matter if you were the president or the waiter at the restaurant, you got treated the same. That's what he was like. And he was a real gentleman and a very caring and loving daddy to me, you know. Mm. He was also a straight shooter. He said things as they were. He was brutally honest. Just being around him was inspiring. He was a really great man. But there, I've known other people here in Australia. Like I could say the same thing about Cold Joy or Slim Dusty and people like that. Yeah. It has all given you a particular passion to give back to the next generation what you've picked up along yeah. the way and that honour given to you by those guys. Absolutely. There are so many great young players around the planet now. My goodness. Yes. They're everywhere, yeah. you know. And I meet them, I meet young people every night. I do what we call a meet and greet before every show, an hour before showtime. People write in and go on our list and, and I, I meet the public. Instead of coming out after the show and signing autographs and stuff, I meet people before the show. That gives me an opportunity to, especially those young ones who bring their guitar, who want to play, I get a chance to hear that and talk with them intimately and... Um, you know, and that gives me a good energy for the show as well. Yeah. So tell us about this series of Australian concerts. We'll put the details of the cities in the coming week up on our Open House Community Facebook page. Tell us the vibe that you're trying to uh, set and the well, music well, that you're I'm delivering. Just, uh, there's, there's a lot of new songs in my show, and I have 
some incredible musicians on, on this tour with me. Two young guys from New York City who I met many years ago over there who, who play together. And so they're opening the show and then the three of us play together at the end of the show. And I play a lot of new stuff in, in the show. I've got a lot of new songs that I'm presenting on this tour. One particular one that you'd like to leave us with that's particularly floating your boat at the moment? <laughs> Blowing my dress up, as they say in Tennessee. Um, uh, this is um, this is a, a song I wrote that uh, just seemed to pour out of me. It's a tune called Halfway Home. Tommy Emanuel, thank you so much for the honour of speaking with you. Thanks, All the best brother. with the uh, best. concert Love series. And this is Tommy Emanuel with Halfway Home.
We hope you enjoyed this open house podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.